Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. So thanks for coming in today. This is a webinar where we want to bring in, you know, large operators together so that we can talk about COVID-19 and what are the strategies and outlook that, uh, you know, each uh, large operators are using. I mean, we will go through in a short while on who are the large operators and, you know, we have a, we have a bunch of questions. And if any of the attendees have questions, uh, definitely go and put into the Q&A and, um, We'll get it answered at the end, uh, but we have a we have a quite a number of questions that we want to ask and share among each other, and treat it as a fireside chat. And uh, just for a definition of fire chat, fireside chat is basically a series of evening radio address given by uh, President Franklin D. Roosevelt between 1933 and 1944. Just I think during the World War II, you know, where people sit. I mean, he was very casual in addressing uh, you know, the questions and you know, addressing the nation. So we want to make it as uh, as uh, casual as possible and make sure we're able to get the content that we can uh, from these uh, geniuses that we have in this uh, group right now. So let's get started. Uh, why not each one of you introduce yourself from the panelists? Uh, why not we start with uh, Ivan? James, hey, thanks again for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, appreciate you putting this together last minute. Uh, Ivan Barrett, Indianapolis, Indiana. My company is Barrett Asset Management. We go by BAM. We are about $300 million in assets under management here in Indiana, Ohio, and Illinois. So, Ivan, I'm not sure whether you missed out some of the details. I mean, you own like 3,500 units. You are a vertically integrated operator. Correct. Um, yeah, we're a 90-employee company, uh, over 3,000 units uh, under management. So, Rich, uh, why not you, you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself? Sure. Richard Fishman, president of the Valcap Group. We have about 6,500 units under management. Uh, we are mostly in Texas and Tennessee. Uh, we've been Go ahead. specializing workforce housing. Got it. And you're focusing a lot in Dallas and a few other states, right? Uh, uh, well, mostly we're in Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, uh, Tennessee, Mississippi, and Pennsylvania. Rich, uh, you want to check your audio because I think you are breaking up. So okay. okay. While, we, while we go to the introduction. Hey, Vinnie, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm Vinnie Chopra. I'm here in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. My company is Monil Investment Group, Monil Management Group. Before I had Ideal Investment Island Management, we have uh, uh, at the peak had 4,100 units and amounts in the under management, we are vertically integrated, 330 million. And uh, we are just getting into three or four more ground up, uh, you know, developments very soon in senior living. And uh, Brian, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, Brian Burke, President and CEO of Praxis Capital. We're based out of Santa Rosa, California, which is north of San Francisco. Uh, however, uh, we don't own anything in California, thank goodness. Uh, right now, we uh, have assets, Class A and B and C assets in Arizona, Texas, Georgia, and Florida. 
Uh, our highest concentration is Atlanta, Georgia, but we've got assets in all those states. We are a vertically integrated operator. Uh, we've got about 60 uh, employees in five states and, uh, and growing up until I put the brakes on things. But we'll talk about that uh, as we get into uh, what's going on today. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Hopefully, David, uh, you settle your microphone. Can you can you try? But uh, I mean, just to introduce uh, David, uh, he's a vertically integrated operator out of Dallas. Uh, I think he owns like almost 4,000 of maybe 5,000 units, uh, which is out of out of that 4,000 units on his own, right? So, which is which is a really good group of people right now because uh, you know because of this COVID-19 and what's happening in the economy with multifamily. We want to have a really good discussion on what are each people's strategy. You know, what what's your outlook is going to be. And uh, what are the strategies? So let me start with some of the questions, right? So I believe almost all of you have gone through 2008, right? Uh, can someone answer how different is this crisis compared to 2008? So who want to start with? Uh, Winnie, you want to start? Yeah, do you want to actually? I interviewed today three times. So <laughs> the thing is that, you know, in 2008, that's when I was starting out, by the way. I didn't know anything about cash on cash or LOI or anything. And I learned a lot in 2006 and seven. And that was my very first time. I didn't know what the market cycle was. I just knew that people didn't want to give me money and banks didn't want to give me loans. (laughs) So actually what I could say comparison of that, it was inflicted by the derivatives, the single family collapse, the rental homes, and of course the whole mortgage debacle. The biggest thing is that was a U. It was. It took a lot of time for the crash, the recession. It took two years, three years in certain metro areas to come back up. But in this one, which we have right now, it's it's not inflicted by because of the bad you know things that we did. It's that invisible enemy, the you know virus we talked about, the coronavirus. So it's a V shape. It's not going to be a U shape. It's going to be in and then out. So the biggest thing that we need to really look at is there'll be opportunities, but if we can survive and make sure, I know the Freddie and Franny came with the forbearance letter to this morning, and even the local banks will be probably coming with that. So we can keep track. I mean, keep you know uh, our business open. Uh, we'll be okay. You know, it's going to be a we, not a you. Okay, any, uh, anybody else? Uh, Rich, uh, you want to give me your perspective? Because I think you went sure. way before 2008. Well, 2008, I agree with Vinny. It came fairly slowly. There was a wave of layoffs, and then there was another wave of layoffs, and then there was another wave, and then finally another wave. And I think we were all thinking, if there's one more wave, I'm dead. I'm out. Because our tenants couldn't pay the rent. And it just, it really was kind of a long-term heartburn, very tough to get through. You know, I know that we're all scrounging. This this one is a little different, a lot different because it's, <clears throat> it came more like a hurricane, more like a natural event. It kind of decimates things for a while. Uh, my concern isn't so much that the virus will pass I'm very heartfelt uh, sympathies to anybody out there who's suffering. I want to say that we're talking about money, but my heart and prayers are with everyone's health, first of all. Uh, 
But when, as far as the business goes, there is right now the unseen enemy in the finance business. So what's happening right now is that the finance industry has seized up. We might know about Fannie and Freddie and the government, but behind the scenes are thousands of buyers of tranches of Fannie and Freddie, HUD bridge loans. Uh, there's banks that lend money and mortgage bankers who lend money to companies that make these bridge loans or who buy tranches. And all this activity has ceased in the last week or two. And now we're, we're trying to figure out where all are, if, if that activity is going to get back to normal. If it doesn't get back to normal, our business is not going to see normality until it does. And just to go into that, if, if I'm selling, if I'm Freddie Mac and I'm selling the top 10% of my loan, and now I cannot sell that because those buyers can't finance their purchases, then I will still make loans, but they'll be at 65% loan to value with a 1.5 debt coverage because I, I don't want to live. I don't need to lever. And so if you can only buy properties with 35 or 45% leverage, then we all know that means that you're not going to pay as much for the properties. And then that is going to drive values way down. So I'm not as optimistic as Vinny. I think some of that's going to happen. I just don't know how it's going to happen and what it looks like, but it's going to definitely happen. Uh, Brian or Ivan? Yeah, I, uh, I survived 2008 and, and re remember it vividly almost as if it were yesterday. And certainly, you know, a lot of the same gut checks come into play today that we had back then. The major difference in your question specifically being, you know, what's different about this crisis than 2008? The main difference is 2008 was caused by a real estate collapse. And in this one, uh, this uh, crisis is causing real estate, right? Where real estate caused the last one, this one is causing real estate to, to suffer. So that's that's the main difference. Real estate is fundamentally sound before this came along and happened. So um, you know, it's uh, I, you know, there's a lot of people out there thinking, uh, "Wow, this is going to be a great opportunity to pick up uh, real estate at fifty cents on the dollar," uh, you know, and you're going to see this tremendous collapse in pricing. Uh, I would be surprised if we see that. Uh, I, I'm kind of in between uh, Rich and Benny. I think uh, you know my my philosophy or my my uh, my outlook, which you know, take it for what it's worth. Uh, I think it's going to look not like a V and not like a U. I think it's going to look like the Nike swoosh. Uh, and if you if you know the Nike symbol and what that looks like, you know, I, I have a feeling that that's what uh, this collapse and subsequent recovery is likely to look like it's going to happen fast and it's going to take a while to get out of it but it it really depends on uh how long this supposed you know uh closing of the world goes on right uh and if this is uh if this is a short-term uh closure uh you know then we'll have a, a faster recovery if this drags on for a while it's going to get incredibly painful Got it. Ivan, you want to try? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I tend to lean more towards, I mean, I think everybody's got good points. Uh, we could spend three hours on discussing why this crash is different than the last time. 
In 2008, the Fed and, and the other central banks saved the world from depression. Since then, they now have they now have their their mandate. They've got they've got the runway to basically do whatever they want with the backing of 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 the powers uh, in in every major country. Today, uh, yesterday, the last few days, they've announced they're going to buy everything. They are literally ready to drop money from a helicopter. Uh, they're they're buying mortgage backed securities. They're going to buy they're they're going to buy up commercial paper. They're going to do whatever it takes to soften this landing and ensure uh, that there is a V. So, uh, Vinny, uh, I I am uh, agreeing with your your V, my friend. This is a head fake. This is for anyone that can survive the pain a huge opportunity to pick up more real estate. And I, uh, I know there's a lot of people out there that aren't in this, uh, in, in this space and that, that are going through a lot of pain right now. And a lot of people are going to get crushed. But think about what's going to happen to multifamily once we get out of this, whether, whether it is a, a V uh, or Brian is right and it's a swoosh. What happens to cap rates when interest rates are zero? And the fear subsides. Yeah, that's very interesting. So, yeah, I mean, my thought you know, is I'm like only, uh, I'm only saying this. I'm only saying this to this panel because I'm the only guy in the Midwest. If you guys <laughs> were in my market, I wouldn't be talking right now. I'm yeah. just, I'm I'm going all in, get my hands on as much hard assets as I can. I'm buying okay. stocks. I'm buying gold, and I'm buying income property in the in the federal government in the in the reserve. The Federal Reserve basically just backed my play. They said, your tenants can't pay? No big deal. We'll, we'll forbear your mortgage. Pay us when you can. We, we are now too essential to fail. Yeah, yeah. Multifamily is so strong, right? Uh, I mean, just my thought is of all this is I think uh, I have a combination between everyone. I think that's a V. This could be the wine talking, by the way. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what it was. Come on. <laughs> I think... For me, my point of view is I think it's going to be there's going to be a V, and after that, there's going to be something else happening. And so I'm I'm similar to what Rich is uh, talking about. There's something else coming in because you know the amount of quantitative easing that's happening, mm -hmm. it you know it can throw off a lot of things, right? And uh, with all these financial uh, agencies giving out so much of money, they're buying all kind. I mean, we just have to be careful on the second side of uh, the effect after this COVID nineteen s has gone away, right? So so let me go to the next question because I think it's a lot of it's related, right? So what do you think will happen to multifamily industry after the, the COVID-19 case has been, uh, you know, uh, has dies down, right? Let's say we come back from V and, you know, coming back now, everything is solved. No, nobody's worried about COVID-19 viruses. So what do you think? Is there, Where do you think the apartment industry will be in terms of buying deals? Or selling deals. I, I, I'll take it. I think it just goes back to where we are. You know, just the same old business. You know, people need to live. They can't live, and you know, they need an apartment or a house. And we're an essential service for everybody. So I really don't see a change fundamentally. I do think that this is a wake-up call for all of us, and that we will continue to look for ways to deliver what we have. More cheaply to try to be more efficient to use technology more. We still haven't figured out how much how to have technology save us a lot of money in delivering what we have. We figured out how to spend more money to, on technology. We're all spending plenty of money on 
you know, driving traffic and converting leases and trying to get our maintenance guys to click, click when they have a work order or maybe order a supply. But none of that has saved a lot of money. But we still need to figure this out so that we are not in a low margin business anymore. I think the wake up call that we all have when these things happen is multifamily is a low margin business, high leverage, low margin, high risk. It's not risky from the point of view of can I fill my apartments up if I lower the price or something, supply and demand. It's, not, it's elastic, as they say in Economics 101, but it definitely is a low-margin business. And we have got to be able to figure out how to make bigger margins so that we have cushion when these things happen. And they seem to be happening more regularly. 2008 was a once-in-a-lifetime event, and now we're into twice, twice almost in a decade. You know, in 12 years, uh, a tsunami event, how are we going to be prepared? Because it looks like this is the new normal. It's going to happen again. But do you think the prices will be back at what it was like, you know, three weeks ago? What does price mean in the world? If, if my dollar is being inflated with $5 trillion, the person who's buying gold over there, Ivan, he's laughing. He knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> what does it mean if the price stays the same, if the dollar is worth less? It means that I have something worth less, or maybe there's inflation and then the thing doubles in price. But we don't know the impact of floating an economy with endless amounts of greenbacks. It never worked well before, but we're here. We're playing the game. We don't know what game we're playing yet. Uh, so something is going to change, but price means nothing. Interest rate and the payment on your mortgage is more important than what the price of real estate because and the cap rate. Those two just determine whether there's positive arbitrage in owning a piece of real estate or negative arbitrage, in other words, loss. So that's much more important. That's why no one really cares if it's 100000 a unit. It was 40000 before. Well, my mortgage payment is so much lower. It's at 3.5%. I don't care what the price is. I care what my return on investment, going back to what Vinny learned years ago. So these are the things that are more important than is my value going up? Can I prove to the people that I'm still as wealthy as I was before the crisis? I'm not so sure that that's going to be known for six months or a year. So let me ask, what about the cap rate? Do you think we will be at the same cap rate as what we were in three weeks ago, or we'll be at a, at a higher cap rate or lower cap rate? I think it depends, and I won't dominate I think it depends on how much money you have to put down to buy a property. Okay. In the beginning. What is this change of leverage required to own multifamily? Do you think the leverage would change? Like I what do you do? My guess is that that leverage is, is all go down, way down, because the people who are making these loans at ninety percent of cost and eighty percent of cost, they're they're scared. They've seen something they didn't believe was going to happen, and I think. And, uh, okay, so you're thinking that uh, the down payment would be much more higher after this crisis uh, from most of the lenders because they got scared right now, I guess. I think the lenders are going to be more conservative because they are going to have to think about, can they really sell their loan? Mm -hmm. Right now, they're scared. A lot of the companies that 
we deal with there. If you look at the stock exchange, I mean, they're trading at 30 cents on the dollar, 40 cents on the dollar. That's their bread and butter, their stock price. So the investment community is not happy with their leverage. And right now there's a real evaluation. How are they going to stay alive? Got it. Got it. Very interesting. Anybody else want to contribute? Where do you think the multifamily will be? Maybe what you have now going forward is a little bit less euphoria in the market. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, You know, the uh, buying climate has been really overheated for a while. And that needed to moderate to a certain degree. Uh, it was, uh, you know, to Rich's point about leverage points. I mean, we've been buying that way for a while now. I strongly prefer 65 to 75% leverage. Uh, I hate bridge loans and 90% to cost. They won't even do 90% to cost. Uh, so, you know, we've been putting larger down payments. Now, that's also part of the reason why we get outbid almost all the time. Almost everything we buy is off market because other buyers are willing to pay more because they're fat, they're solving for a rate of return on a much smaller down payment. So, you know, that's probably going to go away, which means, you know, maybe pricing does get a little bit more realistic. You know, we also have to remember, you know, Rich mentioned, brought up a good point. He said, uh, you know, price is relative, right? And, and that's absolutely true because at the end of the day, we're we're not really buying real estate we're buying an income stream and if that income stream is smaller uh, then we're going to be paying less and and really what we don't know right now and we can't quantify for accurately is how much smaller is that income stream going to be if at all Uh, my opinion is it's going to be smaller you know right now we're underwriting to smaller rent bumps post renovation than we would otherwise have done because we need to be competitive uh, we're underwriting to less rent growth than what we would uh, typically forecast. Uh, higher economic vacancy, lot more concessions, more bad debt. Uh, you know, this this reminds me somewhat of an experience I went through in uh, Houston, Texas, after Hurricane Katrina. The whole city shut down. Jobs were lost. Hours were cut. The courthouse was destroyed. So it didn't. They weren't processing evictions for months. Uh, and, and this is what, you know, we struggled to stay at 87 or 88% occupancy. Uh, we had four and five and 6% bad debt loss. Uh, we were giving away massive concessions a month to a month and a half free rent, just to even keep occupancy where it was. And I have a feeling we may see something like that here in our near future. Now, I don't think this is the new normal. I think it's just what we have to do to survive and make it to the other side. So, you know, when those income streams get compressed like that, that's going to have a compression uh, uh, on pricing and pricing is going to go down. But, you know, when the income goes back up, the prices are going to go back up. So, you know, we just have to get from here to there. That's it. It's survive first, thrive second. Got it. Uh, I agree. I agree with Brian. Well, said. You know, again, the big thing is we want to see what happened, right? I mean, this was self, it was not due to outside factors it happened because of all the corona uh, disease and the contagiousness and all as we come out of it and we get handle on it that's what i think and i've been a very positive person all my life but i'm looking at realistically also i think if we are able to get through that time 
probably it's going to be okay. I know, like Rich said, you know, I totally understand about the loans and the hard, hard money loans. And like Brian, you said, you don't really believe in that. And I don't believe in that. I've never gotten a hard money loan at all in my 28 syndications. You know, the thing is, I think the, the biggest thing we have to look at is that these restaurants are going to open, the shops are going to open, there'll be more concessions. I think the profitability will get lowered. There'll be more uh, incentive to go and come to the businesses. I'm just feeling that that's what, if I'm an owner, that's what I will do to draw more traffic and things like that. The biggest thing is how soon can we flatten the curve for this whole uh, epidemic, you know? That's what it is. And then, of course, once we have people getting jobs, then it's going to be, it may take time. It may take six months, may take one year, but we should, and the demand is there. Demand of the uh, millennials, they are not dying. You know, they're going to stay. And then also the demand from the uh, seniors, which have taken a turn already in our company, that is 10,000. We all know that 10,000 people are turning 65 plus every day. You know, so I think overall, uh, it is it is a bump in the road for all of us. Properties will go back. Maybe won't go back to the same level before Corona. But of course, it's the NOI, NOI, and the cap rate. Got it. Got it. Hey, David, do you want to say something? See whether we can hear you. Yes. Uh, okay. Good. <laughs> Finally, we hey, got you. <laughs> you're here. Hey, 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 Ivan, how are you doing? What's up, Lagat? All right. Just. I was thinking about this question, what will happen after this COVID-19 dies down? I think it's going to depend on how long it lasts, right? If it's by May, we are all done, you know, we're back to normal. I don't think we'll see a lot of effects. But if if we're in September and uh, we still are not able to, uh, I think some properties are going to start going back to the lender. And whoever has the good operators are going to survive. And the ones that were opening uh, were uh, operating on margins, you know, they're going to go back to being engineers and being uh, going back to their corporate job. And we're back to 2008. So, but why do you why do you think you know some property is going to go back to the lender? I mean, not I mean, this is just an open question, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, everything was down. Now uh, there is option on forbearance and all that. But you know, wouldn't everything come back and everything become normal? Or why why could some deal go underwater? Because I think a lot of people and maybe um, were making make posting numbers to work in order to buy a deal. You know, okay. I, I think that's been happening in the last so many, maybe a year or two. We also have become so expensive and uh, a lot of uh, underwriters or a lot of syndicators have been, you know, making work, however way, either by lowering the exit cap rate or whatever way they, they, they had to do to make a deal. And now, I guess this will, you know, depending on how long this will last, you know, we might know who, who really is going to remain standing got it got it got it if ivan has no comment so let me go to the next question so <laughs> i want to give up to everyone right so so let me ask one question because now i mean all this happened very quickly in the past three weeks right everything drops and everything changed in within past two three weeks right so now april is coming right now you know everybody is including me are anxious to see how the collections are going to be for april because that's going to be a true test on how much delinquent we're going to see 
right? And also May, right? Because if you look at the, the curve, it's going to go until May as well, right? April and May. What are you doing uniquely in, in each one of your operations? I mean, I don't want to know about, you know, swimming pool, gym is closed. Everybody does that, right? Uh, you know, we're only doing emergency work orders. But uh, each one of you who are operators of, you know, 3,000 or 4,000 units that you are doing. Are you doing anything unique in your operation in from from for now to make sure that we take care of April and May timeframe uh, that you want to share with everyone? Yeah, I think um, I'll take that. Sure. I think the first thing that we have done is uh, we've stopped all the huge CapEx. You know, okay. try to conserve cash as much as we can. So all the CapEx uh, projects that we had, we had to put that on hold uh, until, you know, Part of notice and focus on uh, on on collections, whatever that might be. We won't know until really May, April 10th, and um, trying to renew the leases. You know, those are the, the main things that we are doing right now. Are you doing something special to renew the leases? I mean, you want we want to get renewal as much as possible, right? We're making a deal, so we're uh, tenants are coming in, and if we have to, I guess. Offering a free cup of clean doesn't work anymore. Tenants, are, you know. <laughs> so what are you doing? Can you tell us exactly? I mean, today is 24th of March. Uh, is already tenant coming in right now, telling that they want a deal? Funny enough, we have properties today, and uh, people are still calling in to renew the leases. I don't know. Is they the, the, the good tenants that we do have? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> they just want to do, uh, you know, they, I don't know. Some people are still calling in. Some properties are worse. Our properties are worse with today. People are coming at your calling into a new lease. Got it. You know, not all of them, but, you know, uh, we've had a few calls as well about, you know, losing their job. So, but not a lot of that yet until the rent collection uh, yeah. next month. Yeah, I'm seeing like five to 10% people are calling right now to say that they have problem with rent. But uh, I mean, it's still early. I mean, we do not know what's going to happen yeah. when it comes to April, right? So what about others? Are you doing anything unique to you know slow the uh, crash or the potential crash that might happen in April? We're trying to get people to stay in place, cancel their notices. Uh, we're trying to save as many people. We, Of course, nobody really wants to move out. Some people still want to lease and move in because they need a place, and that doesn't change. But we're really trying to keep the people there. That's a very big thing. If you can just keep 5% of the people from moving out every month, that's, that's huge. And, of course, we're not looking at increasing rents. We're, we are trying to communicate with every single tenant. That's very important. We're trying to find out what their story is, you know, what their intentions are, are they working, you know, those kind of things. And we're really trying to be sympathetic and, and also business-like. We don't, we don't have the bank check. We can't afford people not to pay their rent. We would rather they get their rent, of course, paid to them. And then they can pay them. We don't really want to be in a situation where uh, everyone is on set for example, or some FEMA program that So, you know, we're doing the best we can. That's all anybody can do. Nobody has, there's no magic wand here. This never happened before. Even Katrina was different than this. You know, it was a complete different situation. This is unheralded experience and try to be smiling and happy and six feet separate <laughs> and, uh, Really just be sympathetic and deal with the people and their human conditions. This is a human, this is a human tragedy. 
above all, for all of us. It's not just the people who live in our apartments, it's our friends, our family. And we have to really see ourselves as just part of this drama. We, you know, and whatever is handed to us in this drama, we make the best out of it, but we can't really, there's no way to be a hero in right now in only apartments. We can't tell everyone we don't want, we don't worry about your rent because we can't afford that either. And they can't afford us not to pay our bills and cut off the utilities and the garbage collection. So we have to just kind of do the best we can. Yeah, I was thinking of not doing that, of going to each one of them, because I, I was worried that they're going to give start giving reasons, right? Okay, now they already know that we can't pay or, you know, so, but but you had a different approach by going into each one of them and understanding yeah, the story. people, they don't have to pay their rent. We, you know, and we're not seeing people out unless they, they don't pay, really. But we are, still, our offices are still open. You know, we're still trying to do business. And, Thank, you know, thank God so far, you know, we're still safe and healthy in our offices and our maintenance guys are still trying to do the work orders and, and everything. We're, you know, we're really trying to to look at ourselves as a, providing an essential service. I mean, this is people's homes. This doesn't stop. And that's why we're exempt on some level from having to close our offices. And I know some companies have closed their offices, but we haven't. You have not, right, Rich? I was going to ask you that. In our cases, we are doing remote talking to the residents. Our management is inside the office, but we close the office and have notice outside that they could talk to the residents and everything. Uh, You know, Rich is right. I mean, that's the biggest thing is the human element. Coming to the office, you know. Uh, at all, we're doing the, we're doing the uh, virtual, virtual uh, the whole thing. Sure, people have people showing up when they can to to work in the office. I think the biggest thing also is the heart, right? You know, if we were told not to work and we were living in that apartment, you know, how would we go through it? So I think as a owner of the apartments. I think that's what we are communicating with our management team, asset managers, regionals, you know, be sympathetic, like you said, empathize, find out what will happen. And maybe we could take that one month rent, they couldn't pay, divide it up and then let them pay later. Or we, you know, it depends on certain situations. We might forego if some people just, you know. So it's all uh, we could do as human as we can, like you said, Rich, you know, and uh, try to do it the best we, you know, in this situation. So Brian or Ivan, are you guys doing anything unique, uh, you know, come for April and May collections? Well, we... uh, we 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 are doing kind of what what Vinny suggested there a minute ago. We're uh, we're the first thing I did about three weeks ago was look at the uh, employment composition of the residents in our properties. You know, we've got about five thousand residents that have a variety of different jobs, and we wanted to know uh, you know what industries they work in, so we could identify which ones would be most impacted. You know, based upon looking at. Uh, most specifically, uh, hospitality, uh, restaurant, entertainment, uh, uh, those type of jobs like restaurants, so on. You know, we had about 
roughly about a uh, 25% exposure overall, I, I think, to that sector of employment. Now, we, what we don't know and have, or can't quite quantify yet is other industries and how uh, they might be impacted as well. So we've, uh, uh, on our last manager call, the survey around is roughly about 10% of our residents have indicated that they've been impacted. Uh, so that tells me maybe 20% have because the other half haven't said so. Uh, so, you know, maybe it's not going to be so bad. You know, we do have uh, a lot of people getting tax refunds coming around this time of year. So that may help. Uh, helicopter money from the feds may help. Uh, you know, we, we don't really know yet how, how it's all going to play out. But, uh, you know, we're just working with people to the best of our ability. If the resident was current pre-event, uh, then uh, and they come to us before rent is due and tell us that they have a problem, we'll work with them to the best of our ability. We're looking at uh, postponing a half month's rent and amortizing it over the balance of their lease term. Uh, we're extending leases out six months uh, for anybody that has less than a six months to go so that they can spread that rent payment over six payments. Uh, we're also um, referring people to some nonprofits. We have a nonprofit uh, financial counseling service that we uh, are referring people to. Uh, we're giving them advice and tips on applying for unemployment uh, to be able to, to capture those benefits. Uh, and also referring them to organizations like Catholic Charities and other uh, church organizations that uh, sometimes are available to help people uh, subsidize uh, their rents in tough times. So we got a variety of tools at our disposal that we activated a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, the judgment day is, uh, what, about a week away. And we're going to all have an idea of, you know, how bad this crisis is or is not. Right now, it's all just a lot of speculation. Nobody knows how many people are ultimately going to pay when it comes up. But we have to make one message clear um, that, you know, we're, we're in a crisis, but rent is due. Um, you know, we, you've been impacted, but rent is due. And, you know, this doesn't mean that the eviction uh, constable is coming to your apartment in a week, but it does mean that, uh, this isn't a holiday where you get to just skip and never pay. Uh, we'll work with you to the best that we can, but ultimately, uh, that money is going to have to be paid sooner or later on, you know, as we can, because, uh, our utility provider, our employees that we have to pay, uh, their salaries, our mortgage lenders and everybody else is going to expect payment as well. So, uh, it's a big domino and, you know, cascade effect and, um, you know, it's uh, we're just we're we're just working through it, and we'll see how it comes out. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing the same as well. I'm I'm doing a propaganda machine where we tell everyone rent is due. You you still owe rent, uh, but we can work with you. I mean, TAA, which is Texas Apartment Association, did give a guideline on uh, two ways. One is either you waive all late fees or you create a payment plan. So we're working on the payment plan for you know residents that's impacted, but they have to show some kind of proof, right? Otherwise, uh, everybody will want a want a free ride, right? So. Ivan, are you doing anything uh, different in uh, in your property management company? Yeah, uh, picking back on what Brian said, now is it, you know it's not so much now about being unique; it's about really having a tight grip on your operations. It's blocking and tackling time. There's nothing. There's nothing unique. There's no secret strategy. 
Some properties we're feeling very comfortable about. Other properties were more in the weeds, uh, looking at every resident and their ledger. And uh, there's no there's no secret sauce to this. This is where operations reign supreme. Because again, it's it's not about you know what we're going to do tomorrow. Is is much about is is it's getting to the other side of this. Um, this trough. Got it. Got it. So let me go to the next question. So, so right now, in terms of protecting our investment, I mean, all of us, uh, we have investors working with us, right? I mean, it's an investment, right? So we have a few options to right now to safeguard this whole investment. One is, you know, uh, mortgage forbearance, right, which Fannie and Freddie is offering. I'm not sure about other bridge lenders or short-term conventional bank lenders. Are, are they doing it or not? But there is forbearance. Uh, there's also SBA loans. Uh, you know, you can also do a capital call to your investors, or you can reduce your mini- expenses to minimum to continue operating your property. In your mind, you might have think about, hey, this is all my backup plan. What's your top backup plan? Uh, what's your number two backup plan that you have to, you know, come April and things are really bad. I'll take that one. I think uh, for us, we're starting with the. Uh, was talking with the biggest investor, which is the lender. We're going with forbearance, and then I think we'll do uh, running with the minimum expenses if that's if that was possible. And then the last resort will be a uh, couple of calls. So are you asking for forbearance right now? I mean, uh, because uh, I think the forbearance is not free, right? You still have to pay later on, and you have to put evictions on hold as per the latest guideline. Yeah, but putting it back with the property, I think it's better. It goes back to what I said earlier, right? Because that'll be cash. So if we can keep that money in our operating account, I'd rather keep the money. And even though we have to pay it later once the, the dust settles. Got it. Got it. Anybody else? Uh, uh, go ahead, Ivan. There's there's so many safety nets ahead of forbearance for us. Conserving cash. Forget who mentioned, you know, slowing down CapEx. Looking at every every dime, you know, is is important. But I think most of the operators on this phone would agree. As, as Rich so eloquently said earlier, you know, we're we're already in a low margin business. It's it, it's not a game of nickels and dimes, and sometimes in some cases it's a game of pennies. So on the on the operating side, I think it's uh, it's paramount. And I, for one, am, am cautiously excited because I think there's a lot of folks out there that aren't operating as well as the um, the peers that you've been able to pull together tonight, James. And I uh, I can't help but point out again, I think there's going to be some opportunities in the short run here for operators that know what they're doing. I don't like forbearance because it's a step toward foreclosure and legally even if the lender doesn't, you know, of course, they have to legally offer it because we're in a crisis, but it will stay in their minds, it, you know, later on. If this is only a two-month process and you've needed forbearance for two months or a month, they're going to wonder, what happens to that liquidity requirement that we had? Why did we make you this loan? Why did you drag us in? to one bad month, the money is going to be spent either way. You're going to either push your, push your creditors, your vendors, your suppliers out if you have to. That's way preferable than pushing your lender out. You know, yes, tell your lender you're having cash flow problems, but you're going to make the payment. But I really think that forbearance should be at the bottom of the list after the capital call if you want to prosper in the future. That's a really good point because, uh, yeah, lenders will be wondering, right, why don't you keep reserve, right? Are you 
are you that bad of an operator? You don't have reserve for one or two months, right? So uh, can't you manage your business for a couple of months without coming back to them, right? So that's a good point. Very good point. They're also going to require that you demonstrate that you don't have cash flow or reserves in order to qualify for forbearance. So, you know, most of our assets, we have tons of cash because you know, we generally raise all of the cash required to do a renovation of 100% of the units, but we never really intend to renovate 100% of the units. But just in case we had to, we have um, uh, we have it available to us. So, you know, we've got some cash available, which is going to make things a lot easier for us. You know, forbearance is an option if we had to, but I'm, I'm, with, I'm with Rich. Uh, I don't think that's a step we're excited to take. I think uh, this is how I got through 2008. I paid the mortgage, and that's how I uh, was able to grow after 2008. If I had missed mortgage payments in 08, I wouldn't be on this call right now. Also, the utilities, I think that's the other thing, right? The big expense that our property water, trash, gas, all that stuff. And hopefully, I mean, what will happen if they can pay their electricity because they don't have the jobs? So that will be also a repercussion. I know in our accounts payable manager, we were discussing yesterday and even last week how to reach out to the local people and see how they are dealing with that. If we are not able to pay the whole utility, can we make them in So that's good. That's very good. Very good point. So, so before I go to the questions from the audience, uh, I just want to ask one last question. I mean, with all the effort that the government is doing right now, right? I mean, unlimited uh, quantitative easing. Do you think the government would be able to help out our multifamily business or we have to be on our own and try to figure this out ourselves? I think the government is doing a tremendous job in getting people money, also businesses for liquidity so they can keep their employees you know, even though they don't have that much work for them. I really can't imagine the government doing that much more. They're also giving liquidity to buy the mortgages and everything. It's just, it, it's monumental what the government is undertaking. And my hats off to the Fed and to the Congress and the Senator and the President for really trying to keep everything, all these plates spinning, as we say, while we are in stasis, you know, we're like Captain Kirk. We're lost. You know, we went into the, to the, to the place where, you know, we're zooming me up, Scotty, and we're, we're, we're lost. Nothing's happening. No one's working. No one's spending money. And, you know, we forget that we're all part of an organism called the economy. And that if, if, it, if the economy isn't happening, we're not rich. Rich, will you please tell my wife that nobody's spending money because her online orders have gone through the roof. <laughs> Amazon still, Amazon still uh, up and ready. <laughs> There's, she, she's literally using Lysol spray to wipe down a, a trunk full of groceries daily. She's not betting on the football game or the basketball game, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. I, but I, I need you to tell her that no one is spending money because this is getting serious. <laughs> so even, even with a 20% drop in, in GDP for one quarter, that's still 80% of the economy working. 
and 80% of our residents paying rent. It's certainly not pretty, but we as owners of income producing property and hard assets are going to have a flood of capital when this thing subsides. History is on our side here. Yeah, I think it's just the multifamily asset class is just so strong, right? I mean, the go I mean it's basically Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You you can't run away from food and shelter and safety, right? You need Listen, that. Listen, none of us want to do forbearance and most of us probably won't have to. But the, the government has literally stepped in and said, hey guys, we're going to chop off your tail risk. We're going to take that away. They've limited our downside. There's, there's no other investment on the planet that can, that can even compare to that. If you can manage it well, if you can operate well, and, and if you know how to batten down the ship when there's a storm. A lot of operators don't know how to do that. It, present present company excluded. I mean, we all know how to batten down the hatches and conserve cash and ride to the other side. This is the calm before a flood of, again, I, I repeat, what is going to happen to commercial real estate prices and the cap rates that people are willing to accept when the 10-year treasury stays at zero? It's going to be interesting times ahead. So let us let me take some questions buy from some more the- property, Vinny. Let me look at some of the questions over here. Um, negotiated property before all this happened, is this still a good deal, I feel? I mean, it's still a good deal, I feel. However, should I walk away now or wait oh. for it to drop or walk away, look for cheaper deals elsewhere? Please let me take that one. Go ahead. So I've got an off-market property under contract right now. It's 200 units. The price is locked in. And two things are happening right now. Number one, the, the interest rate on my takeout loan, my, the loan that I'm going to put in place for, for the audience, I'm not explaining this to these guys, they know what I'm talking about, but the debt I'm going to put on it has gone down. And two, the seller said, hey, hard earnest money? No, don't worry about that. Close in 60 days? Oh, you need more time because engineers can't get on site to do the due diligence? Take your time. Let's just, let's just keep the contract uh, uh, going. So for me, this, this is amazing. I get more time to close on the deal. My return has gone up to my investors because my interest rate on my debt has gone down and I'm not putting up hard earnest money for the first time in two years. What about your investors? Uh, I don't know I what, mean, you're, uh, what the, the person asking the question, I don't know what they've got on their contract. If, they're, if you're overpaying for something, yeah. Now's the time not to overpay. But what about your investors? Have you raised the money before this or you raised the money during all this uh, chaos? Yeah, so what's interesting is my, my smaller retail investors who all love the saying, be greedy when people are fearful, are, are much more skittish, right? They've been, they're, they're getting hammered in equities and they're, 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 the sky is falling. And my large investors, my family office, my, my larger, wealthy, ultra high net worth families are saying, can I give you more money? How many, when can you get more deals? Because I'm, I'm done with the stock market. I'm reallocating or, or, or allocating additional money to hard assets. And because of, of our track record, uh, we're, we're attracting more capital, which is, I think, uh, a canary in the coal mine for what's to come. Got it. So you are saying that because of the stock market is no more attractive, people want to put more money into the real estate just because the, I mean, the interest rates are low and most of the sellers are very Well, they're, very they're reallocating, numbers. right? I mean, a good investor's got money in everything. And, and for me, I, for the first time in 20 years, I'm, I'm going shopping in the stock market. I'm, I'm buying equities. And I haven't done that uh, since I sold my last stock in, in college to go on spring break. I was too broke in 2008 because I had, I had you know, been an idiot in real estate and uh, was a developer at the time and, and, and barely hung on and barely convinced my girlfriend to be my, my wife. I'm not missing this opportunity to make investments. No, I agree with that one. I mean, you know, as the stock market- Cheers, has- Vinny. 
I came out of it. Yeah, let's have uh, wine. <laughs> I made $64,000. I don't know if I made or not, but $64,000 today just because I was buying and I bought some really good, good stocks. But you're right. But I got out of the market. I lost $740,000 in the crash. You know, I mean, that was a pretty bad, bad uh, lesson. But I got only 20% left this time because it had gone up and up and up. So now is the time what you're saying, Yavin, you know. So there are some great opportunities in the stock market along with the real estate. I believe that, you know, and this is the time for the people who have cash, they can make hay, yeah. Hey, and, and my, my Desi brother, let's not forget gold. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I don't know. I like gold and silver. <laughs> Well, this is a this is a fireside chat, so we've got to have counterpoints to every <laughs> viewpoint. I suspect so. so uh, I'll take I'll take the counterpoint view. I've uh, you know I've I've had a property in contract to purchase on a continuous basis for about the last three years, and when it came into the fourth quarter of 2019, was the first time I actually when we closed on a deal in December that I didn't have anything in contract to purchase. And the market got so overheated in January and February, we still didn't have anything. So I could not be more grateful that I had nothing in contract to purchase uh, before this happened. I'm so glad that I'm getting a clean start because uh, you know what, what, I would, what I would be worried about is uh, declining income, causing my lender to retrade the loan when they say, well, we were going to give you a $20 million loan, but now that the income fell, you know, 15% on a T1 basis, I we're only going to give you, a, you know, a $15 million loan instead of a $20 million loan. So that that would be what I'm more concerned about. I'm I'm watching loan quotes on deals that we've been underwriting trailing down. I've seen spreads trending up, uh, you know, trades on the secondary market. No one's buying anything under 3%. So despite the fact that treasuries are going to zero, all-in mortgage interest rates are not going down uh, right now. Uh, right now, there's too much risk and they're just not. So, you know, with incomes falling and, and interest rates staying fairly steady, uh, I, there's just too much uncertainty. If I had hard money on a deal right now, I'd be really, really nervous. Uh, I just closed on a sale on uh, Friday and thank God it closed because I really was nervous wondering if the lender was going to fund all the way to closing day. I wasn't sure it was going to happen, but it did. Uh, talking to the broker today, he said almost every other deal he has has fallen out. Now, the fact that uh, I don't have anything in contract that I'm sound a little pessimistic doesn't mean that I'm not a buyer. And see, this is kind of the difference is now I'm getting the calls from all these deals I've been putting offers in over the last six to eight weeks that we've been getting outbid by $2 million, $3 million. They're all calling back, hey, the deal fell out. I can slide you in. And it's like, you're not sliding me in at that price, uh, you know. We can talk, but uh, you know, the pricing guidance that we were talking about you know, three weeks ago is not today's reality. So uh, I think there's going to be some opportunities to purchase. I just think you have to be really smart about it. And I'm really glad I didn't have anything locked in at a price uh, from two weeks ago. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not in any contract as well. I mean, I'm glad I closed my, my deal uh, last month. I mean, it was a sale. So just happy about that, not being in contract at this point of time. 
so I think almost everyone is asking: Are you guys are you guys a buyer right now? You know, would you be a seller right now, or and would you would you refinance if you have an option? I'm doing all three. I'll take that one. I'm uh, I'm refinancing. Uh, I've got refinance apps in on three properties. Uh, I just closed escrow on one sale uh, on Friday. I've got another one that uh, you know we're uh, in the marketing period, which I don't know. We'll see if we keep it there. And we got a third one. We just completed our best and final round at the worst possible time. Uh, so, and I'm I'm looking to buy. We're putting in some offers on some stuff, you know, very cautiously. So we're doing all three. We are open for business. You know, the multifamily industry is open for business. We're doing everything we were doing before. It's just a new set of rules. You know, there's there's new ways to price. There's new ways to underwrite. All of the assumptions we used to use are out the window. Uh, you, know, you know, multifamily has grown by job growth, income growth, and population growth. And right now, job growth and income growth are off the table, at least temporarily. And that's going to have somewhat of an impact. So we're just buying to, you know, what we feel is today's reality. Although we don't really know exactly what today's reality is, uh, but we're going to come to find out soon, I suspect. That's a good point, Brian. I'd like to say in our camps also, we have about $20 million to invest, and it's been a pretty good We have been underwriting a lot of properties, not really got a good one. I just returned $4 million last week, wrote the checks back and wired the money back because there was something I was going to get into with the condos and so forth, senior living, that I decided not to do it. Uh, so that, you know, there are opportunities and we are looking forward to getting not only multifamily, like Brian said, but also I mentioned the starting about assisted living. There's a big, big need for the assisted living and the memory care. And I've been able to partner with somebody who's done 17 of them very successfully. So I'm really excited, you know, about that, that opportunity there where there is a big, big demand in multi and senior like Brian, you know, like just like him. Got it. Anybody I else? Think on our, mm-hmm. I think on our side, we're still buying. Um, our business plan is still the same. We might just uh, uh, tweaking our criteria based on the uh, based on, on on the environment we are right now. But we're still looking for deals, and we're buying. Yeah. Got it. The consensus: everybody's buying. Just the criteria would have changed, and uh, you know, you just have to be cautious about you know the market right now. I guess. But I would also bet that the loan rates are going, uh, <clears throat> they've been going up actually. And, and Annie and Freddie are talking about increasing the rates to four over 4% yes. uh, momentarily. So, you know, this 0%, you know, bond rate, yes, that's true. But I think that we're going to be priced in for more risk by the lenders, like I said before. And so, I think the cap rates might have to go up for that. We're we're trying to refinance under the wire. You know, we can because it's a historic opportunity to refinance. And we are still looking to buy. And we're also in contract or into contract on sales. We're, we're trying to be as normal as possible with the expectation that this is going to be a blip. But we're trying to be prepared if it's not a blip. And we have to in what in how we buy and what we buy. Got it. So one of the questions I have is, uh, what what's the panelists' uh, advice for people with the uh, bridge loans? Uh, they are flexible. I mean, I'm not sure what's happening in the bridge loan space because I don't have any bridge loans right now. 
but I, what I what I hearing from the question is they are less flexible than agency or banks. Is that true? I mean, anybody have done bridge loans or know what's happening there? They are shaving off. From what I heard, one of my very good friend is a hard money lender and bridge loan lender, uh, Bo Extin in the Bay Area, and now he's in Las Vegas. He was sharing with the podcast I did last night with him was that they are shaving off five percent. You know, like the requirement, if they were giving 80% loans to construction, they are doing now 75%. And then also, on the other hand, for putting more, um, you know, the construction cost, they're looking at their budgets and putting 5% extra leeway on the other side, so 10% cap. I think it's to get new bridge quotes right now. Yeah. Because they're not able, unless it's a balance sheet, lender. And I think you shouldn't expect for a new quote to be right. as attractive as it was, probably 100 basis points higher right. than just a couple of, a month ago or so. Mm-hmm. And the underwriting is going to, of course, because of that, the underwriting is going to you know, be at a higher debt constant. So there's less to know about. I definitely don't think it's a good time to start a deal, wanting yeah. to reach loan with a, with a value at play with tomorrow's rents. I mean, that doesn't sound like sanity to any of us, I hope. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, even though some people could have been stuck because they have this uh, hard money day one, uh, you know, terms, right? A lot of people are stuck because of that. That's yesterday. That's so last year. Uh, hard money day one, I think you're not going to see that for a while. Thank God. Good, good. riddance. <laughs> <laughs> so much pressure, right? With this hard money day one thing, right? And people have been paying crazy and overbidding and... You make a mistake and you're stuck with it, right? Like right now, right? A lot of people are stuck in it, even though the economy has changed. So for someone new on syndication, I mean, how do we, how do they want to position themselves to take advantage of the Nike Swish or V-shaped recovery? I mean, any advice to the new people who are trying to get into the game right now? Yeah, listen carefully what the people on this panel are telling you, because we've been there and done that. And, you know, being new in this business is very challenging and, uh, you know, experience matters. And this is the time when experience matters. You know, there's been uh, this trend over the last, uh, I'd call it maybe three years or so, where I say everybody's a syndicator. Exactly. You know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it well, doesn't that was matter. Last, that was two weeks ago. Everybody's syndicated. Yeah, that, three was, weeks that ago. was two weeks ago. Everybody was a syndicator. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, there's a difference between being successful acquiring uh, property and there's a difference between uh, being successful raising money and successfully operating and navigating through a crisis. And, you know, this is where you'll get battle tested. You know, if you're a newer syndicator and you survive this, it's going to put some stripes on your shirt uh, for sure. If you don't survive, uh, you, you uh, didn't structure it right. And I have a feeling there's going to be a lot that won't survive. And that's going to, you know, it mean, there's a little less competition to buy deals, I guess. And anybody can take up this question. How do you judge the bottom? How, how do you, how do you figure know. out that we are the bottom? Are we already at the bottom or we do not know? How, what, what, are the, what are the criteria that we should look for that that's the bottom? We, and well, As soon as we find out that, the, you know, the curve has plateaued and we don't find more, you know, uh, what we are hearing, right, about yeah. the coronavirus, if we are able to curtail it, just like I think I heard even today, Italy, you know, they are finding some better results. In China, I don't know if it's real news or not, they are saying they're already out of it. South Korea is already out of it. And I think USA will be out of it. 
So as the word gets out, you know, that will be close to the bottom, but it's going to have its own repercussions. So we'll have to give another six to nine months, I think, again, for the jobs to regain and things like that and so forth. That's how I feel. The the bottom is when you buy something and people tell you that you're crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's now. That's all right, right. yeah. Or when you look back and people say, boy, no, I wish I had bought that. Yeah, that's <laughs> so true. Uh, I think great. the answer to that is nobody has that crystal ball, right? So if the, if you find a deal that makes sense and 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 with the with the environment that we're in, I'll say by all means buy it. There is no none of us. I don't think like someone mentioned earlier, none of us has that crystal ball as to when the bottom is or when it's going to start going up. I think buy you know the next sense. Uh, for you this time, but how does it change? I mean, we used to, we used to. I mean, I, I mean, a lot of people who you know in this industry take three percent rent growth, two percent expense growth, right? I mean, and cap rate is like a exit cap rate is fifty percent, fifty basis point from market. I mean, from all of your opinion, how your underwriting skill? I mean, not underwriting skill, underwriting criteria have changed in this market. Let's say today you're buying a deal. What would your projection of rent growth and what would your projection of exit cap rate be? Zero rent growth for how many years? <laughs> At least one. I'd, I'd underwrite to. I'm underwriting to zero percent rent growth for like one to two years right now. Okay. And what about the exit cap rate? How? What would you assume? I mean, do you even look at that? Uh, we look at exit cap rates. Uh, I, you know, I've been forecasting uh, decompressing exit cap rates for years, and I've been wrong for years. So. You know, why do you want to ask me that? <laughs> Maybe this is the first time I'm finally going to be right. And they're actually going to be right. Yeah, yeah. The but there are people yet, who are Ryan. compressing cap rate, right? <laughs> <laughs> so. James, one of the things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. higher at the okay. so five year exit. Yeah. 50 to 75 basis point, I guess. Okay. Go well, ahead, Rich. One of the things that we're doing is, is uh, looking at, we might have to own this real estate for seven to 10 years. And that's something that's, I think that's very important because that's the main change in our philosophy. Do I want to own this forever, basically, long term? And if it's a deal that I can't own forever, and today I wouldn't buy it, whereas maybe two or three years ago, oh, I'll buy it, I'll, fit, I'll give it to the next guy and use it on the table and make some money. I'm not thinking like that. I stopped thinking like that about a year ago, but right now I want to be able to sh- be able to own that thing, pay off a mortgage, think like my grandfather would think right now. That's the kind of deal that I want. Okay, got it. Uh, so I think... Uh... That's the bulk of the questions. I don't want to hold everybody too long, but uh, can you quickly, everybody, say uh, how to how the audience can get hold of uh, each one of you, so at least they're able to get hold of uh, you know you if in case they're needed. So why not we start with uh, Vinny? How to get hold of you, Vinny? Sure, sure. I'm on social media quite a bit, as you all maybe some of you know. Vinny Chopra is my website. V I N N E Y C H O P R A Chopra, and Monique Invest is my uh, you know, the investment side, uh, so forth. And uh, you could just text the word to 474747. You write anything, it gets to me and my team. So just text anything 
to 474747. Yep. Uh, David, do you want to give your contact? Yes, uh, Bella Asset Management. Our website is uh, www.bellaassetmanagement, all spelled out, dot com. Um, I can be reached at David at bellsrealtygroup.com. Uh, Rich? Yeah, we're uh, docapgroup.com, and I'm on LinkedIn. I like that as the platform. I've seen your email in my clutter file three years later. <laughs> okay. Brian? Uh, so you can find me at uh, uh, my website is praxcap.com. Uh, it's Praxis Capital. The website is praxcap.com. Uh, Brandon Turner just showed me how to use Instagram. So now I'm actually even on I don't do much with it. But uh, investor Brian Burke, if you want to follow me there, uh, it probably won't do you any good. You'll just get bored. Uh, one quick thing as I as we sign off, I just want to take one quick question. As I saw somebody ask, how do you finance a property that doesn't qualify for agency debt? What's the strategy? The strategy I'm using is we can use a bridge lender, but not take their leverage. Uh, you can do 70% or 75% with a bridge lender, just like you would get with Fannie or Freddie. Uh, it's just they don't have the 90-day uh, requirement for 90% uh, occupancy. So uh, it's a lower risk, but you can still get the deal done. Just saw that question flash up, wanted to make sure I answered it, because a lot of people may be wondering, as occupancies fall, as a result of what's going on now, how will you get properties financed when they don't qualify for agency debt? So that's all I got for you guys. Uh, Ivan? Uh, I'm glad Brian answered that. You know, there's a whole spectrum out there of, of, of loan opportunities and bridge loans. They're not all bad. They're certainly not all good either. Uh, and, and ratcheting down the leverage is a great way to, to uh, mitigate downside risk. I'm also pretty easy to find, uh, as is Vinny. Uh, if, you, uh, if you Google me and spell my name uh, correctly, B-A-R-R-A-T-T. Ivan Barrett, B-A-R-R-A-T-T, -T. easy to find me. Awesome. And um, James Kandasami, in case you all didn't catch that in the beginning, so a chief investment group. Thank you, um, for putting it all together. Thank all you. right. Thank you. You know, I really want to get, uh, you know, the true operators, right? Operators who own, you know, thousands and thousands of units. You know, some a lot of you have gone through the 2008 crisis. And, you know, your perspective is just so valuable at this uh, state of the economy, right? So thank you very much for coming in. I think uh, everybody got awesome value from this uh, ISAT chat. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free along with other valuable resources by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.